not ashamed of the gospel, y'all. It's the power of God which can save us all. In the gospel, the righteousness of God's revealed. who lives by faith, the Welcome to Theology Deuteronomy Matters, where we discuss theological the issues through a biblical Lord, worldview. God, but the, the gospel that preached in clarity for the sake of the elect and for the glory of and God. Children forever, Here's your host, that we may do all Austin Ryan Griffin. What's up, everybody? Uh, welcome to another installment of podcast, Theology Matters, where we talk about theological things, issues, engage the culture through a theological framework, uh, a biblical worldview, and try to be as consistent as possible. Uh, I'm not a genius, a, a, a extremely gifted theologian or anything like that. I'm just a layman striving to uh, bring the glory of the kingdom of Christ and King Jesus to this world and trying to be consistent at the same time. Um, and so um, I want to kind of give you maybe like a tool, like a, a discernment test, a, a prophecy test. Uh, and we see... And I want to give it to you because it's plainly given out in Scripture. And I think now is a relevant time. You have people that, a lot of people that prophesied that uh, Donald Trump would be president. Um, you have the body riddled with uh, God told me prophecies. And regardless of what your stance is on charismatic, uh, I, I don't believe there's an office for a prophet. But that's me. It's, I don't want to really get into that. But regardless of what you believe, a lot of people are given a lot of prophecies, especially now. A lot of people are teaching all kinds of things, especially now. The question is, does the tool lay out, does the, does the Bible lay out a clear-cut tool that we can use that will help guide our discernment, that will be our discernment, uh, and that way we could understand how to discern? And so, and I think it does. I think it's very clear. I think it's simple. Uh, and so I think it's laid out for us, and I'm just going to go ahead and try to give you that tool. Uh, and so you can call it prophecy, prophecy test, prophet test, teaching test, whatever have you. I, uh, this is at a time where um, God, at the second giving of the law, that's what Deuteronomy means, um, at the second giving of the law, uh, God was trying to shun adultery from his people Israel. And so he uh, gave a test in Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13, I'm going to read just 1 through 4, and it gives us how do we deal with prophets? How do we deal with a dreamer or, or someone who does miracles or gives a wonder or a sign? Uh, how do we test them? How do we know that um, they're preaching and teaching right? And, and there's so many, there's exhaustive answers to that question, uh, but I want to provide for you something that is simple enough to grasp and use and uh, be applied in your everyday life, especially as you go forward in the body of Christ and in your walk. So Deuteronomy 13, verse 1, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or a wonder comes true of which he spoke to you saying, let us follow after other gods. So I want to bring this in context. If he does a miracle and then tells you, well, let us follow after this other God over here. The God of the Canaanites, the God of um, uh, whatever, whom you have not known. So it, this is a God that's different than the one they have known that has been revealed um, and let, let us serve him. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet and the dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And you shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. And you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. Wow, just 
I mean, there's so much, there's so much in that text, in that uh, portion of scripture, the fact that God would sovereignly send you a test, uh, and he would allow a false prophet to prophesy to you, uh, to get you to follow up to another God, that God would test you like that. That's, that's insane that, uh, that, that produces in me personally, a, a wonderful fear of the Lord and a hunger for his knowledge and to know his word, his voice better. So, um, th- there is two standards laid out, I believe, in this scripture. Um, if the sign comes true, that's one. And later on, uh, there's another place in scripture where it said the sign comes true, uh, then that, that is a true prophet. Um, you see that standard, but what if the sign does come true? And it answers both of those. If the sign comes true, that's one standard. Uh, if the prophecy or the signs, the signs happen, the prophecy happens, that's one standard. But that's not the the main standard or the only standard, shall I say. You have a standard here that says if you follow after another god, other gods, lowercase, that you have not known. So the the standard is, has the prophecy or sign of wonder came to pass or not? And is it a different god? Jeremiah applied this, I believe, in Jeremiah 28. He applied this principle that you can apply. And so basically, uh, you have to ask yourself, is it consistent with what has been revealed about God in the law and the prophets? And has it come to pass with accuracy? Uh, Hananiah, a prophet, son of Ezra, he was a false prophet. Uh, and I, I and he came to um, Israel prophesying, and, and here's what he said. And I want you to just put yourself in Jeremiah's shoes, uh, or maybe if a prophet comes to you. But check this out: it, it, the Bible preserves for us an example of how to apply this when a false prophet comes or a true. And, and the reason why we want to know what's false because we want to know what's true. And, and, and a real great way to understand what is true is by the deduction of what is false or, or, or in other words if this is false then it's not true so you can tell by what's true by what's not true um, and you can tell what's true by the standards of scripture so this happens and the word preserves it for us in Jeremiah 28 verse 2 this is what the and this is the that false prophet uh, Hananiah said he says the Lord this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, so, so notice, it's not obvious. The God of Israel says, it's not obvious. This is what Molech says. This is what the devil says. This is what uh, the Canaanite God says. This is what Pharaoh says. No, no. It, it, it has a shade of trueness because it's deception. So he's claiming that the God of Israel is speaking to him. I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. With two years, I am going to bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, took from this place and brought to Babylon. So within two years, he's claiming this is what God's saying to him. We know it's a false prophecy already, but let's, let's work through this. I am also going to bring back to this place, and, and, I, and forgive me if I don't say this right, Jeconi, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles of Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Now, I I do want to add that it was God who sent Israel into 
captivity to Babylon for the punishment of their wickedness and also to produce repentance in his remnant, in his people. So we know that already by the context, but uh, later on in verse 8, so the question is, how do you determine whether this prophet was of God or was preaching truth? What's the standard laid out for us in Scripture? Jeremiah 28, 8, the prophets who were before me and before you from ancient times also prophesied against many lands. So what is, so what is he doing? He says, the prophets who were before me and before you from ancient times also prophesied against many lands, against great kingdoms regarding war, disaster, and plague. As for the prophet, so what is he, he's, he's, he's using the, what he knows already to be true, the prophets before him. Verse 9, as for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, then you, then the prophet will be known as the one whom the Lord has truly sent. So he's using that first standard, has it come to pass? Because if it's come to pass, it's true, right? But is that the only standard? No, absolutely not. Uh, later on in verse 12, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke up from the neck of Jeremiah. He did like this demonstration to like, I guess, add some drama to it. He did this demonstration where he took a, a, a wooden yoke and, and like broke it. And see, this is what's going to happen. He like did like this, you know, this dramatization of like, oh, this is what's going to happen. He did like a, a prop. He did a visual aid. <laughs> and so... Um, in verse 13, says, uh, go, this is uh, still the same chapter. It says, go and speak to Hananiah saying, this is what the, this is what the Lord says. You have broken the yokes of wood, but in the place you have made yokes of iron. Hmm. For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says. So he's like, no, but this is what really I'm saying. I have put the yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. He, this prophet is literally going against the purposes of God, misrepresenting God while claiming to be of God and that it was God all along. He's lying. He's a liar. He's prophesying lies. He's prophesying from his... What's the basis, uh, the base episcopology of his own... Or what's the base knowledge of his own prophecy? His own heart. Now, you can call that feelings, experience, whatever, uh, but the human heart is deceptive, and it can never, ever be a basis of knowledge, true, biblical, absolute, objective knowledge. Uh, now, check this out. Um, it says, They shall serve him, and I have also given him the animals of the field, since not only did I give him all the nations, I gave him all the animals. Verse 15. Then Jeremiah, the Lord prophet, said to Hananiah, the prophet, Listen now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made these people trust in a lie. Therefore, therefore, this is what the Lord says, Behold, I am going to remove you from the face of the earth in, in this year. You are going to die because you have spoke falsely, against the Lord. Look look what that says. You have spoke far, falsely against the Lord. So what he is he, he what what was the test that 
Jeremiah said. He said, okay, here's the test that we can know. That if it comes true, then you were of God. But he's also using what the prophets prophesied beforehand as a reference. I think that's key. I think that's interesting. And he's also prophesying a different God. This is another God that's a false God. Because it undermines the sovereign purposes or if you don't like that word sovereign, fine. It underlines the purpose of what God was trying to accomplish using a wicked, a very wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar. So not only was, not only did it not come true, it, it was uh, a different God. So what's the standard? Uh, did the sign or prophecy come to pass or not? Is it a different God that you have not known? Uh, later on in Jeremiah, that was Jeremiah 28, uh, earlier on, sorry, Jeremiah 23, 26. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesies lies and who prophesied the deceit of their own heart? Mm. Had that problem in Ezekiel's day. Ezekiel 13, 2. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel. So it's, Prophesy against the prophets who are prophesying, and they say to those who prophesy their own hearts. So what do they prophesy? Prophesy the, their own hearts. They're prophesying their own hearts. They're not prophesying what God is saying. And so some will say, well, this principle is in the Old Testament. We can't apply it, or, or should we apply it? Because that's the Old Testament, you know. Uh, we don't necessarily have, you know, Jeremiah's, Isaiah's walking around. And and I agree we don't. Uh, but, but they're recorded for us as a reference, as the authoritative inspired word of God. So, to which I would say to this question, those questions, should we, or it's the Old Testament. Um, I believe this is even carried on in the New Testament by the apostles. Now, so, so what's the principle in short? Did or didn't come to pass? Did the prophecy come to pass or not? And different God. Is it the same God or different God? Did it come to pass or did it not come to pass? Just because it has come to pass, that's not the determinant whether you know that's, that's of God or not. Uh, is, it a is it a different God? Other than that has been revealed by the prophets of old, recorded in the law, or you can say in the Old Testament, is it? So, uh, we see this principle uh, being used, I believe, in the New Testament when Paul was dealing with the quote-unquote super apostles in the church of Corinth. Listen to what he said. And this is 2 Corinthians eleven three. This is Paul dealing with the super apostles. Uh, just to add a little context to it, I won't go too far into it, but but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his tricky trickery, I like that word, trickery, your minds will be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, look at that, the apost the authoritative ordained apostles did not preach that, and it is a different 
Jesus. The apostles had authority to be a mouthpiece for God. We see that, especially if you read John 17. Um, you see that. So this principle is being carried on. Is it another Jesus? A different Jesus? A different God? Is it different than what has been previously revealed by the mouth of the apostles? Or and, and he keeps he keeps going. Or or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel. So look look what he's saying. I love this different Jesus, different message by the apostles, different spirit, different gospel. Even adds, I think, to the principle which you have not accepted. This you tolerate very well. So I believe Paul is even utilizing these same Old Testament standards and principles. Um, and I think I think it's beneficial for us. I think it's a tool that we can use as discernment. You've got to ask yourself some of these questions. The Bible gives it for you clearly. You see this in the letters of the Apostle John when he was dealing with the proto-Gnostics. Uh, specifically, Uh, the second letter of John, chapter 1, verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and antichrist. So those who deny that Christ actually came in the flesh, the incarnated Son of God, God entered into flesh, those who deny that, that's a different God. They're deceivers and antichrist. Wow. I, I, I think that's very similar principle that, that John is using. And I think we can use it. Uh, different Jesus, different God, different message. Uh, you know, different Jesus, different God, different spirit. Different than what the apostles preached. Different gospel. Different... Um, than what is in scripture. It's just different. And you have to ask yourself, and some will say, well, that's not what's, it didn't say different scripture. Well, of course, he didn't have to. Uh, I think it's overwhelmingly clear uh, that the word of God is inspired, sufficient, uh, and clear in its message to the point where we can certainly know key aspects of our faith uh, does that mean you can certainly know everything? Of course not. But there is a certitude on the fundamentals in which you can know without doubt. or And by, by without doubt, doesn't mean you won't struggle to believe them. It just means you can know them for sure. Certainly know them. I don't give in to this. I don't, I don't believe that there's, you can't know. The only thing you can know that happened is the resurrection. No, I don't believe that. I think that's very minimal. And I think that's kind of agnostic in a way. Uh, you can know key aspects. Doesn't mean you'll know everything. Doesn't mean we're going to be able to explain exhaustively about head coverings. Uh, but um, on the fundamental hills, the fundamental fundamental doctrines, and we have principles laid out that we can discern truth and lies. Uh, and so you, you get a different Jesus, a different God, a different spirit, a different gospel, a different message than which the apostles preached, uh, different than scripture. You see this being used in Galatians 1.6. I am amazed 
that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by grace, by the grace of Christ, for a different gospel, which is really, which is really not a, a another, only that there are some of you disturbing, only that, I'm sorry, only there are some of you, or some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, look at, I love this. Because it just goes in the face of experiential, empirical epistemology, like this experience-based, feelings-based, situational, circumstantial-based knowledge. But even if we, who's we? Uh, The apostles. Or an angel from heaven, some angelic, divine being, should preach to you a, a you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you he is to be accused so the gospel is the authority in which we use as a basis to discern whether something is true or false that which has been previously preached by the by, by the apostles but it doesn't matter who preached it it matters what was preached i mean let me, let me say this. It is the gospel that is preached that is primary. doesn't matter the means in which God portrayed it. The means are, are, are not to be exhausted above the message. In other words, if, what if Paul preached a different gospel? Well, he's Paul. He wouldn't lie. I got you know, to believe him. No, Paul's like, nope. If I preach something different, you shouldn't believe me. Wow. And so you see him utilizing this thing, uh, utilizing this, um, these principles, a different gospel. And, and, he, and then he goes on to say he is to be accursed, basically damned to hell or the strongest form of cursing, uh, like to condemn somebody. So has it come to pass? Is it consistent with what God has already revealed through the apostles? Through the, through the prophets, through the law, through the Bible, through consistency of Scripture, the gospel. And one last point, and then I'll wrap this one up. I want to make it a quick one. Um, we see this type of, we see the same consistency that Paul uh, is, is, is doing the same thing. He, I believe he's using those same principles. Uh that are found in the Old Testament. And so 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 11, he says, For I delivered to you as first importance uh, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. I want to point out, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, and then the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Why is that important? Because the testimony of the Jesus' resurrection is found on the basis of two or three witnesses. Right here it says 500. 
Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and at last of all, as to one untimely born, he's referring to himself, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and am not fit to be called an apostle, because I have been, because I have persecuted the church of God. And this is one of my favorite scriptures, verse 10, but I but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove in vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Um, whether then it was I or they, so we preached, so you believed. So it is the gospel that is first importance and that Paul grounds the gospel in his preaching and the truth according to the scriptures. Uh, we do have a Bible that is accurate, inspired, infallible, in error. Uh, doesn't mean um, a, a scribe can't make a mistake, uh, but through that, God has supernaturally preserved it. Uh, it has a supernatural origin, and it is uh, not typewriter perfection. It's not what infallibility or inerrancy means. Um, but it has been supernaturally preserved. It has a supernaturally origin, and we know the message with clarity of what the apostles tried to convey uh, as far as pretty much in which they tried to convey. So uh, I believe the Bible is very, very, very clear on what it tries to communicate about the gospel, salvation, and a lot of other issues uh, that are primary um, that are primary. So I believe Paul is using an Old Testament principle. And, and which one is he using? Just to further my point that Paul uses Old Testament principles, such as the one that I've given you as a tool to discernment, to discern prophecy or a prophet, whether he's true or of God. Uh, different God, different message, different spirit, different Jesus, etc., etc. Did it come to pass? And is it characteristically of the God who's revealed in Scripture? Deuteronomy 17.6, 7, you can see this. Uh, and, and in Deuteronomy 19.15, Paul is utilizing the Old Testament Scriptures. He literally says, he says the same exact thing, but I'll read it for you in the Old Testament. Uh, Deuteronomy 19.15, A lone witness is not sufficient to establish any wrongdoing or sin against a man. Okay, it's not just in reference to sin either, uh, but regardless of what the offense, and I'm still reading, regardless of what the offense he may have committed, a matter, a matter. So a matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So an Old Testament principle is a matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That is what our, it, well, that's what it's supposed to be. America's due process is supposed to be um, founded on. God's law, I would venture to say God's law uh, is even more gracious because innocent until proven guilty is a Christian Judeo value. Nowadays, it's almost guilty until proven innocent. Um, and I don't want to go off on a tangent because I really feel like doing that. I uh, talk about how I don't believe in prison and I don't believe in all, all that stuff. Uh, but uh, Jesus even affirms this principle when he said that uh, a testimony may be established on the witness of two or three in Matthew chapter 18, specifically verse 16. Um, but, and some will say, well, Paul didn't actually say that. He's not utilizing that principle. Um, yes, he did. 
And I literally, like two chapters before this, in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 1, this is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Pause. So we're, we're, we're starting to see that the apostles assumed the validity of the Old Testament Bible. I do believe the early church had a Bible, and that was the Old Testament. And they were, through the inspiration, recording or writing scripture that the apostles wrote, or that was which superintended by the apostles. And through God's grace and through time, God formulated a gospel or a, a whole New Testament canon uh, for us. And that is a gift that we have by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so we see in the New Testament, which is authoritative, them utilizing certain principles. And so I want to just kind of give an example of why, how, why Paul, Paul did the same thing and uh, John did the same thing. And I think we should. Different God, did it come to pass or not? Different Jesus, different message. Use the discernment. That way we can judge whether something is true or false. And let's let this principle permeate in every area of our lives. Especially now that the media is a propaganda machine, etc., etc. You got everything's political, etc., etc. Use this and discern, have your senses trained by this principle to discern good and evil is what the Bible says. The Bible says, have your senses trained to discern good and evil. Well, the Bible also gives us these principles in which we are able to do so. So I just wanted to give you that. God bless you guys. Remember, God came in the flesh and absorbed the wrath of God on your behalf on the cross. He has ascended. He's on the throne. He's King Jesus. If you got him and he's with you and you're born again, you can't lose. We may lose some battles, but ultimately uh, our king, our Lord, is a mighty warrior. He wins the battle and the kingdom will be established. The kingdom is coming and we shall reign with him. God bless you guys.